several times on this insert, I put the, the words, what might happen if we seek God through prayer and fasting? What might happen if we seek God through prayer and, hap, uh, prayer and fasting with all that we've got? And what might not happen if we don't? And so uh, on Thursday evening, we were talking about this a little bit, and Dave Sabo um, gave us his account of the last week of prayer and fasting. And I thought it captured um, an example of what God wants to do when we seek him. So I asked him to share that with us this morning. I told him four to five minutes, but he heard 45 minutes, so he's going to have to... Let's go, Dave. So it's a little jest. So, over, over, a little, little jest with Herb and I. Um, so I know Herb just mentioned the little insert. I can't emphasize enough how powerful and important this insert can be to you this week. So Herb mentioned Thursday night I shared the November fast. It was the first time in my 20 year, 25 years of walking with God that... I went into a week or any type of prayer and fasting without an agenda that I was bringing to God. What I had learned uh, about prayer and fasting was I would fast and pray to get God's attention, to make the things happen that I wanted to happen, and just to implore to God, to show him that I was more faithful, that I was more devoted Ironically, all through those 25 years, the things that I would pray and fast for tended not to, <laughs> tended not to happen. So I went in this, this November really holding on to the notes uh, on this little blue paper. The thing that resonated with me was, was the statement, what might happen if I sought God through this prayer and fasting with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And... Conversely, what might not happen if I didn't? That just continued to resonate with me as I went through it. So the first couple days wasn't really too bad. I fast from food fairly regularly uh, for my health and wellness. So one or two days really isn't that big of a deal for me from a sacrificial standpoint. Just so happened on day three, I started getting those hunger pains. And I remembered Herb saying, hey, when you get hungry, just pray. Say this little prayer, Lord, I love you more than food. And see what God does. And I remember when he, I first heard him say that, I thought, are you serious? You really think that that's going to work? So here I am at my desk in the morning after exercising and I really, really want to eat. Saying the prayer, Lord, I'm just at a point of desperation. All right, Lord, I love you more than food. What do you want to do? And the next thing that the Holy Spirit said to me was, yeah, I know you love me more than food, but do you love me more than tobacco? I said, hey, bro. That's kind of messed up. So what some of you may not know is up until November 9th here, you want to put your Bible over here? of 2022, I had chewed tobacco for 30, 33 years wow. from the time I was a kid in some way, shape, or form. And at that point in my life, I'd come up with all these different ways to do it as ethically and responsibly as possible. 
Many of you that know me may never even have knew that. But in that moment, um, God made it very clear to me that this was this is time to deal with this. I had prayed about that many, many times over the years and never felt the Holy Spirit take it, take me to that place. In hindsight now, looking back in that moment, I think that time of prayer and fasting and devoting myself in that time to God with no distractions, with no agenda of my own, I was finally able to hear what the Holy Spirit had been trying to tell me for 25 years. And hear it in a way that was so loving from my father. Because when I heard that, oh yeah, you love, I know you love me more than food, but do you love me more than tobacco? It wasn't with a cynical heart that the Holy Spirit said that to me. It was as a loving father. And I was able to, in that moment, say, all right, God, yes. Another phrase that I've heard Herb say to me many times, you know, the surrender, listen, and obey. But when God says something, say yes. Because I was caught up in the moment of all these excuses, like, well, hey, hang on. We kind of had an agreement, God. You've never brought this up. I don't do it in front of anybody at church. I don't do this. Nobody knows. This is just my little thing. And that say yes phrase kept coming back to me, and I thought, say less, say yes. Okay, so yes, God, go ahead and do what you want to do. And from that moment, I haven't had any tobacco or nicotine, nor did I have any withdrawals, headaches, or any of those things, and nothing that I could take credit for. That's mm -hmm. the most amazing thing. Mm -hmm. And to know that in that moment, my Heavenly Father came down to me, mm -hmm. intimately, yes. in that space, to speak to me. My hope and prayer for each and every one of us in this congregation during this week of prayer and fasting is that each of you have some sort of experience like that. But please don't go into it with an agenda. Mm -hmm. Don't go into it with, hey, God, I'm going to do this on A, B, and C conditions. Mm -hmm. Go into it with an open heart of, Lord, show me what, tell me what you want to say. And when he does say something, please just say yes. Mm -hmm. I love you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you. Now, before you go, um, so that happened in November. And, and so that statement, what happens if you don't? He doesn't experience that. He doesn't experience that freedom. But it was, it's not just about us. It's about God, what God wants. It, it, that was a loving moment because he didn't even know how that was getting in the way. Now, so since November, um, he's experienced some opportunities and some things. I, and so he went to a communicator's workshop as God continues to um, develop him. And I don't think I would have been nudged to invite him to the workshop had he not said yes in November, because his heart and his mind would have been right. So that opened the door, and now God can use him more. So it's, it's about us experiencing him, but it's also about preparation so that the world can see Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. And so the, so the things that continue to happen to ripple away, and, and, and now as we go into week of prayer and fasting, instead of hesitation, what do you... I'm eager. Yeah, see, that's what happens. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you.
God is, God is working, and he wants, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's releasing us from those kinds of things. Sometimes it's adding something to our lives. But it's only as we get our head in that yoke with him and we're walking in step with him, paying attention to him, so close to him that we can hear him, that those kinds of things happen. So I, in the pastor prayer uh, partner email that went out yesterday, I, I asked those of you that are pastor prayer partners, um, I said this, would you set aside as many ordinary activities as possible to use this time to interact with God? Would you, and, and so I'll, I'll ask you the same thing, is would you look at your week and see if there, there are TV shows or um, you know, activities that you ordinarily do that may not be wrong, but just would you look at your schedule and carve out some extra time to, that you won't do those things in order to spend time with God and interact with Him? Secondly, would you turn off the noise during the day to spend time with God it, as you're doing regular activities. So as you're washing dishes or you're driving along, you're mowing the grass or working on the house, instead of having a radio on or just take that time to have the quiet with God, just spend time with God. God, I'm, I'm driving along here. Anything you want to say? Maybe turn on some worship music, interact with him to, because that moves us to being in step with him. You see, it's not about earning his favor. It's just about aligning ourselves with him. And when we do that, then he's free to reach in to our lives. Amen. All right, so let's talk about uh, some uh, Palm Sunday's deep, some deeper meanings in Palm Sunday. And I'll try to keep it under three hours. <laughs> if you think back... It, um, to when you first started hearing about Palm Sunday. Maybe you were a kid and you grew up in, in um, a church service. You know, maybe you went on Palm Sunday. Maybe you were like me when I, I just kind of thought Palm Sunday was, you know, it was something Jesus did. And yay, Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, he comes in and everybody's praising him and thanking him. And, and you get a palm branch when you go to Sunday school and and this, Jesus is a hero. But then, then if, if as a kid you're paying attention, it's not very many days till Jesus, it appears Jesus becomes a zero. And we know that that's the way culture works, right? One day you can be on the top of the, the world, and the next day you're at the bottom. And um, I think even as adults sometimes, we see moments that are in the Bible, but we don't really recognize them for what they are. So let's take a look um, at some of this. And I put a foundational truth there um, that just keeps coming to me over and over and over again. And that is we really don't know what a thing is in, until God reveals it. We really don't know what Palm Sunday is about until we look deeper and allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the unseen to what it really is. Palm Sunday was the, the moment of open revelation and invitation when Jesus comes in. But almost everybody that was there missed it. The Pharisees missed it because they were proud and defensive. 
And they, they were seeing it through the, that filter, saying Jesus is trying to take the place of power that we have. The crowds missed it because they were stuck in these preconceived ideas of a conquering hero. And that's what they thought was happening. And even the disciples missed it because they were blinded by confusion. As often as, as, often as Jesus tried to tell them, they still couldn't get it. And so the people around Jesus on Palm Sunday are the examples of people who see a situation and interpret it through their filter. How often do we see Scripture and miss it because we interpret it through our filter? That's why we have to look into the Word of God and, and in, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and say, God, what is it you want me to see? How is it? And then do the hard work. Um, Palm Sunday was a, a moment when Jesus initiated a challenge and an invitation to follow him as Lord. Let's read it in uh, Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Does anyone need a Bible? We got some Bibles in the back. Matthew chapter 21, we'll begin with verse 1. In Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry is in all four of the Gospels. We find a few uh, additional details in different ones, but we'll read from Matthew. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from, the Na from Nazareth of Galilee. Palm Sunday revelations and requirements. Number one, Jesus initiated his triumphal entry as king. Jesus initiated this. God always takes the initiative. God is always the one reaching. And he had been arranging this way back in the Old Testament. This, this just didn't just happen. It had been a part of the plan since before Jesus was ever born. His, and, but from a practical standpoint, over the three years, his work had been gradually building and building and building to now it reaches this crescendo or this climax as he raises Lazarus from the dead, not far from Jerusalem, 
and everybody knows about it, and the crowd knows about it, so that as he comes in on that day, when the city was overflowing with crowds that had arrived in preparation for the Passover feast, it becomes this epic, dramatic climax by his design. It didn't just happen. He did it. And he initiated it as a triumphal entry as a king. He came into Jerusalem at, at the perfect moment. But he didn't just come into Jerusalem. He'd been to Jerusalem a lot of times. He didn't just arrive in Jerusalem. He paraded into Jerusalem. He arranged. He told his disciples what he was going to do. Go to this place, get a donkey, I'm riding into town. He'd never ridden into town on a donkey before. He initiated on purpose, and then he sat on the donkey because that would announce him as king. Look at verse 7 again, Matthew 21. They brought the donkey and the colt, put, their, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd... Uh, spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Because we know from one of the other Gospels that there was a buzz around, Jeru uh, around Jesus because of the miracles and because of Lazarus rising from the dead. The crowds that went before him they were, they, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were calling him the Messiah. He was the Son of David. Hosanna, save us. They were calling him to save them. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He initiated, he intentionally rode into Jerusalem to proclaim himself as king. God is always the initiator. So when Dave is um, sitting there at his desk and he's, um, you know, he's been introduced to the new song way of prayer and fasting and it wasn't Dave being so smart that he had this idea, oh, I should pray that prayer. It was the Holy Spirit giving him that thought, inviting him. God is the initiator. No, no one ever finds Jesus. You hear people say that, right? I found Jesus. You didn't find him. He found you, and you turned around, and he was there, and you said yes, because he's always pursuing us. He's always reaching toward us. I put a couple of scriptures there. In John 6, 44, No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. No one comes. And that's why we pray, God, draw people to yourself. Get their attention. Pull them to yourself. Because nobody has the capacity to accept Jesus except God gives them the faith to do that. John 12, 32, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He's talking about the cross. He will draw people to himself. God is God, and because his nature is love, he is always reaching, he is always pulling us. And that's why as we go through this week, and we focus on paying attention and listening, we need, it's because God is initiating. God is reaching towards us. And fasting and prayers is giving God the opportunity to make clear what he wants so that we hear it. And we, then we can accept that invitation. Number two, Jesus claimed recognition and praise as Messiah. He claimed 
recognition and praise as Messiah. One of Jesus' habits that often takes us aback as we read Scripture is his consistent instruction to so many people. Now, now that I hear you, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just go to the priest and be declared clean. But don't tell anybody. And he had such a hard time keeping people to keep their mouths shut. He, he just kept telling them, don't tell anybody. Don't. And, and it confused the disciples. It confused the other people. Why don't you want me to tell people? It's because it wasn't the time. Jesus, and it would get in the way. It would become a distraction. It would become an obstacle. And so for almost for three years he kept doing this. And now he intentionally flips the script. And instead, he proclaims himself. He claimed recognition. He created this situation on this particular day, riding on a donkey, so that he would get the recognition and praise as Messiah. Um, and so now, it's not just the attention to miracles, it's a blatant proclamation of himself, almost demanding that people praise him. Look at uh, the scripture I put there. The Pharisees, as, as he comes in to Jerusalem, object in the account by Luke. Luke 19, 39 and 40 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, those who are claiming him. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they knew he was claiming to be Messiah. Rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He's saying, no, this is the time. I am Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the Son of God. And I'm throwing down the gauntlet because this is the truth. And it's time for us to see the truth. And it's time for you to see the truth. And it's time for you to kill me in just a few days. It was all at his initiative. And so he's claiming recognition. If the people had been paying attention... They could have noticed, if God would give them the ability to see the truth, the messages that Jesus was sending by the way that he entered Jerusalem. So Jesus was claiming recognition and praise of Messiah, but I put a bullet point there in, in there for you. But he was claiming Messiah, to be Messiah, King of peace, not war. This is where the crowds missed it. Because they had been longing for hundreds of years to be freed from those who, who, were conquered, who had conquered their land, empire after empire, and they wanted Israel to be free again. And so they expected, as King David was, a conquering king, when Jesus was saying, no, I'm coming as a king of peace. Because conquering kings ride horses into the city. Kings of peace ride donkeys. And so if they would have been paying attention, they would have known this. If they had been paying attention, maybe they would have remembered the Old Testament scripture. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He was coming as a Messiah who was humble and a king of peace. He was not going to conquer the Romans. That's, he never claimed that. 
And by the way, this is why we need to study the Bible. To understand the why behind the what. And not just assume that we know what it's saying according to what we desire. He was also claiming to be Messiah King who was the sacrificial lamb. In the Old Testament, there were Old Testament precedents. If you look in the Old Testament, what you see is a couple of incidents where donkeys bearing gifts were sent to appease an enemy and prevent bloodshed. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was riding on a donkey as, uh, as a, um, a gift to appease the, enemy, the wrath of God and to prevent us having to die for our sins by him dying. We see it with Jacob and Esau when Jacob was returning home in the Genesis chapter 33 and and he, if you remember, he had betrayed his brother. He'd stolen his birthright, and he had to run because Esau wanted to kill him. And, and so when he returns back, he sends donkey after donkey, loads of treasures to him in order to appease his wrath and to prevent Esau from killing him. We move later into 1 Samuel, and we see um, David, when, before he became king, he was on the run, and and he was asking for support from, you know, different farmers in the area. And a man named Nabal um, embarrassed him and, and, and David was going to kill him. His wife Abigail found out and loaded up a bunch of donkeys with a whole bunch of treasures and, and supplies and sent them to David to appease David's wrath and to prevent bloodshed. And now Jesus comes to do exactly the same thing. If they had known their Old Testament, if they had been paying attention and listening to the Holy Spirit, they would have recognized, oh, Jesus is coming to appease the wrath of God. He also was proclaiming to be Messiah King as the sacrificial lamb because on the day that he rode into Jerusalem, it was Lamb Selection Day. It was preparation for the Passover and the Jewish people, on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, four days prior to the Passover, was when the lambs that would be brought in to be slaughtered for the Passover would be brought to the temple for inspection to see if they were without blemish and if they qualified to be a Passover lamb to be crucified. It was on that very day that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as the sacrificial lamb. If they'd been paying attention and if they had been seeking the Holy Spirit, they could have noticed. Jesus was intentionally presenting himself as Messiah. Until we get in step with Jesus, we won't notice either. That's why fasting and praying is so important. That's why the fasting prayer is so important. Because if during a week of prayer and fasting, we pray, Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want to in my life. 200 times, that'll be more than we pray the, the whole rest of the quarter. Amen. And God hears that prayer when we pray with a sincere heart. And he goes, okay, I'll take you up on that. Let me do some things. Let me say some things. Let me show you some things that will cause you to know me better and keep your head in that yoke and, and follow my nudges. Had Peter... had. Peter and the other apostles recognized these things. Perhaps they could have avoided some of the 
bad decisions that they make the rest of the week. But they didn't because they were seeing through their own filters because they weren't responding to what Jesus had for them. Number three, Jesus demanded lordship on his terms. He demanded lordship on his terms. So he initiated his triumphal entry as king. He claimed recognition and praise as Messiah. But then what we also see as he rides into Jerusalem, that he's demanding lordship on his terms. And, and that's a part of what we heard from Dave as well. <laughs> he would fast on his terms, going trying to get something from God. But when he turned it around and did it in a surrendered way, Jesus said, okay, now I can work. And now you'll be able to hear me. Jesus initiated this moment, um, and he will never allow us to dictate the terms. Because he's God. And yet, that's in, in, our, in, in um, our selfish human nature, that's exactly what we want. When we grow up as little kids, we don't know any better, and so we're always asking God to do for us what we think he should do for us. And as we grow into adults, we still have that in our mind until we get to that place of surrender. When our oldest son, Andrew, was a teenager, I remember one day we were sitting in the living room. I was sitting in, in the recliner, and he was stretched out on the uh, couch. And I said, Andrew, pick up your stuff and sit up so other people can sit there beside you. And he looked at me and said, you know, Dad, you know, you know what teenagers are like, right? You know, Dad, this couch is just as much mine as it is yours. <laughs> I, I uh, kept myself from killing him. Because what I wanted to do was put my hands around his throat and choke him. And go, I, you know, who was it? Who was it? Uh, one of the comedians, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. But I... I, I, I didn't, and, I, and so I thought, okay, life lesson time. Andrew, let me ask you a question. When, in a couple of years, when you go off to college, and in my mind I'm going, it can't be too soon. <laughs> One of these days, when you go off to college, are you going to take that couch with you? Or is it going to stay here? And did you pay anything for that couch? Did you have any info? Did you choose that couch? Is there any way that you ever had anything to do with that couch being in our house? And when you go off to college, is it going, are you going to take that couch? No, you're going to leave it behind because it's not your couch. <laughs> this is, it's your mother and I's couch. Now sit up, move your stuff, and let somebody else have some room to sit on my couch. <laughs> and you, that was the response. Now, we laugh at that because it's silly to think that as a teenager you own everything your parents do. And yet, we do that with God. We do. And yet, we're, it's just, we're, we're stewards. We all, the, everything that we have really belongs to God. And everything that happens in our life is on his terms, yep. not ours. Yep. 
you know, I, I get such a kick out of these people with doing the cryogenics thing, and, you know, they think they can freeze themselves and come back later. And, and I'm going, you're trying to manipulate um, a, a creation that you, it's impossible for you to do. It's always on his terms. And so when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was demanding lordship, and he, but he was demanding it on his terms. Previously, in, uh, over the previous three years, there were several times when people tried to make him Lord, right? They tried to, okay, now's the time. And he refused. He left because it wasn't his time. On his terms. He'd been trying to make this clear all along, and nobody really got it until after he died, rose again, and sent the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 25. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He says, you, you don't get to choose the terms of making me Lord. There's another, there's, uh, in another passage, there are three people that come to Jesus and say, oh, I'll follow you. And he says, okay, do this. And he goes, oh, I'm not going to do that. The rich young ruler comes, I'll follow you then as the earth. And, okay, give up everything and follow me. Oh, I can't sell everything. On his terms. You can follow him on his terms, or you cannot follow him. Those are the only two choices. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem telling all of creation and all of the unseen realm, this is how it's going to be. I am going to be king, and I'm going to be a king of, the peace, of peace, and I'm going to be sacrificed in order to appease the wrath of God and so that you don't have to die. An eternal death. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You can't even grasp that unless the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do it. Amen. Left to ourselves, we hear what we want to hear and we focus on the parts of messages in the Bible that we want to be true. Yep. And we leave the other aside. And so we have to ask God what's really going on. During this week of prayer and fasting, as we seek God, Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want to in my life. What do you need to tell me? What do you need to... S and when we come up against situations, God, what do you see here? What is going on here? Help me understand what's happening. Jesus draws the same line in the sand for each of us. On, for the rest of our lives. Uh, Dave, how long did you say you'd been uh, following Christ at, at last November? 25 years? 25 years. And still, there's another line in the sand. If you want to make me Lord, you're going to have to follow this. Because I love you and I want you to experience more. It's not an accident, I don't think. Well, it's not an accident because I chose it. That our first... Week of prayer and fasting every year is between Palm Sunday and Easter. And I know some of you have different activities and you do it before or after, and that's fine. But it's because this week is the defining week. When Jesus on Palm Sunday announces that he's Lord, and here are the terms, and then he sacrifices himself, and then he arises from the dead. How much... A God that would do that, how much does he want to do in our lives if we'll just take the time? 
for a week and say, I'll give up some food so that I can draw closer to God. Jesus, Jesus initiates moments in every person's life, in every church's life, when he challenges us, are you going to let me be Lord or not? And not, not just by, um, at the end of a worship service, singing a song and praying a prayer, but are you going to do the hard work of making me Lord? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give up food? in order to seek me? Are you willing to give up other things in order to seek me? So let me, because the, some, oftentimes it's the distractions. So here's one thing that God has been dealing with me. Um, I, um, so I've got a phone that has games on it. And there's these stupid, a couple of stupid games. It's a Toy Blast, have you ever seen? <laughs> or Candy Crush, or it all... All it is, is you match three things, and it explodes. And then you try to get these scores. And, 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 I, and so I, I play those, you know, I just want something mindless to do. But here's what I've noticed, and God has been saying, set that aside. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, they're just games. But God has been saying, set that aside, because it's distracting you. And I'm going, like Dave, I'm going, well, wait a minute, bro. <laughs> this is just a little thing. This is just when I, I'm really tired, and I just want to do something mindless. And, but, and, but there's something about the screen, and, you know, the blowing up, and, you know, it just, and God's going, well, you want, do you love me more than that? And it's not because it's condemning, it's because it's distracting. Amen. It's not because it's the, the sin part of it, is because God wants me to do this, and if I disobey, that's the sin. It's not sinful just playing the game. It's sinful because it's disobeying Him. And I wonder if there aren't some of those kinds of distractions in our lives. That it's not that they're bad. It's just that they're preventing us from really leaning into Him. So I'd like you to bow your heads and, and just in this moment say, Lord, is there anything like that that you want to get at this week? Could be big. I mean, the giving up tobacco is a big deal. Giving up a little phone game is not, except that when God says it is. And Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would reveal the things that in your love you know are not good for us, are distracting us, are preventing us from really experiencing you. Lord, would you identify that for us? And then give us the courage and the determination to say no or to say yes according to how you're leading. Lord, that we could be more fully yours, more like you, brighter lights and saltier salt for your purposes and the joy that you want to give us. So, Lord, we put ourselves in your hands. I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and focus us and do whatever it is you want. Lord, thank you for the lessons of Palm Sunday. Help us to see your truth with that kind of clarity so that we can see you and be like you in every way. 
We love you. We're grateful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.